0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at Calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we are going to conclude the book of 2 Peter and start the book of 1 John next week. So maybe read up a little there. Beloved, verse 1, 2 Peter 3. I'm going to read through it because it kind of is a it all ties in. I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir you up by pure minds by way of reminder that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? This one thing is important, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And here's where we will land the plane, verse 11. Therefore, in light of all of this, since these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat." So in this last section where where, where Peter begins to hone in on the end, the end of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we enjoy it to be, The, the day where there will be a recreating of a new heaven and a new earth, we have spent the last several studies, actually this is the eighth in a series that we just called End Time Insights. And, and what we've done is we've, we've talked about key events leading up into the end. But in the first part of this chapter, the first thing that, that Peter is saying in light of that is like, look, I, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. He, he knows, again, that we have a tendency to, 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 to become accustomed to truth and then take it for granted. Secondly, he goes, I want you to know I'm not making this up. This stuff is not just made up by men. The prophets taught about it in verse 2. Jesus taught about it and the apostles. And then in verse 3 he goes, and, and, and we do know that in the last days, one of the telltales that you are in the last days are that people are going to scoff at this. They're going to scoff at what the apostles said about the end times, what Jesus said about the end times, and the Old Testament prophets said about the, old, the end times. They're just going to scoff at what the Bible says about the end days. But that's just going to be telling It's going to tell you that you're close. But he goes, those that scoff, in verse 5, they they, they willfully forget. It's not like men don't know that God has predicted judgment upon unrighteous people before and then actually judged them. No, they know that. They willfully forget. And he case in points, in verse 6, he points them to the days of Noah, the flood. And for those who say God's people have been saying this forever and You know, these end times events that usher in God's judgment and whatnot, uh, you know, they're just never going to happen. He's like, listen, don't do that. God does things according to his own mysterious timetable. To God, it's like one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like one day. And understand, God's simply being patient. That's what he says. God's delay of judgment is just a, a powerful display of his mercy. Verse 9, he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is just patiently waiting for more people to get saved. But then he gets to this phrase, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we talked about the, the days that the Bible talks about, specifically in reference to end times, to Bible prophecy, the day of man, which is the day we live in. The, the, the day of Christ, which refers to the rapture of the church, that one time event that hasn't happened. We're, we're the groom. Jesus is going to come and abduct his bride out of this place. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The day of man, the day of Christ. The, 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 the day of God, which he talks about in verse 12, is that actual day where God creates a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. But here in verse 11, uh, in verse 10, excuse me, he talks about the day of the Lord. And we talked about that is a reference to a season of time, beginning with the rapture of church. It also entails the, the tribulation era, that seven-year era where God is going to be pouring out his judgment upon the Christ-rejecting following the rapture. It also involves the eternal state. Once Jesus comes in in the latter part of Revelation 19, the second coming, and, and into chapter 20, and he goes into the, 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 the city of Jerusalem, And he establishes his kingdom and rules and reigns for a thousand years, where Satan in that chapter was bound in the abuso during that time. It also includes the great white throne judgment. So from the rapture all the way through to the great white throne judgment, the day of the Lord. That's what it refers to. And what Peter wants us to understand is that, hey, this is going to happen when when you least expect it. It's going to happen at a time when the world much like in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, they're running around "Ah, and going, God's never going to judge. This is never going to happen. That's going to be another hallmark, another telltale sign that indeed you are in the end. In the day of God, you know, when he he talks about this, when the the heavens in verse 10 as we look at this again will pass away. We, 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 We talked about just scientifically how that could happen. We talked out of Colossians last Sunday about how, how, how Jesus, who's the creator of all things, is, and is all things also in Him consist. He holds it all together. But, but in one day, He's going to let go. We talked about that if you weren't here last week and gave some just some scientific data behind all of that. But it, it's just, it's just going to, He's going to let go and it is, it's going to just dissolve. Yesterday, I was trying to eat healthy and in the morning, I thought, oh, I'm going to have myself a, a, some, some oatmeal. And as I looked at the oatmeal, I'm like, ah, there's nothing sweet with that. You know, I'm not that far past the holidays yet. So I, I, oh, I opened up the refrigerator. Oh, Lori, she bought this just be- fresh, huge blueberries. We had this crystal clear plastic box of blueberries with no rubber band around them. And, and, and I, I just, I, I, was, I was like salivating, yeah, oh, this is going to be so good. And I pull these blueberries out and I hit the door, the handle of the refrigerator, and just down they went. It was like slow motion, it took like 35 seconds. Whoa. And when they, they hit, I, 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 I'm not kidding you, it was like, just like, <sighs> I think some of them actually went to the next city. They went everywhere. And I was like, where do I go? I can't step without, you know, and, 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 the, and I'm, I'm on my hands and knees, and the Lord's like, that's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. Just like that. Knowing all of this, knowing all of this that we've been studying for the last few weeks, that Jesus is coming back for his church, that there is a seven-year tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 19, that there is a second coming, Revelation 19, that there is a millennial reign, Revelation 20, knowing that there is a great white throne judgment, knowing that he is going to dissolve all of this and recreate all of this with a new heaven and a new earth. What manner of persons ought you to be in verse 11? in holy conduct, and godliness. In light of all of these end times events, Peter has already told us to be hopeful. One day Jesus is coming. Be watchful. He's coming when you don't expect. Be patient. Because he's long-suffering and patient, not willing that any would perish. He's just wanting to see people saved. Now he's like, in light of all of this, be holy. Be holy. He's talking about the proper... Response: the proper motivation that should happen in and through the life of a a believer because all of this indeed is going to happen. If we really expect these end times events to take place as the prophets spoke, as Jesus spoke, as the Old Testament prophets spoke, then that ought to make a difference in our personal conduct. What manner of persons ought we to be? That word manner in the Greek, it literally means exotic, out of this world, Foreign. What, what, what kind of foreigner should we be? You see, it's in line with what Peter was saying in 1 Peter 2.11 when, when he called us strangers and pilgrims in this earth as Christians. 2 Peter 1.4, it, it says to, about believers that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world. Thus, we must be living differently from the people of this corrupt world. To them, they should look at us and go, that, that person's different. They're foreign. Because this is not our world. We are, we are kingdom kids on a way to our real world, our, our real home, heaven. Amen? Amen? Thus, our conduct should be characterized by, by holiness, by a holy conduct. Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he says, But as he who has called you is holy... You also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. It's not Peter saying that. He's referring to God. And and, and Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, 4, that we are partakers of divine nature. The idea is this. The point that he's making is logical. It's simple. Children, we we, we inherit the, the nature of our parents. God is holy. And he's adopted you, he's he's transformed you, he's grafted you into his family. As his children, we should live holy lives. Nature determines appetites and actions. We look at our our previous life before we came to salvation. We realize that we are born physically into this world as sinners with a fallen nature. In Ephesians 2, children of disobedience. It was natural, B.C., before Christ transformed us. It was natural for us in that sinful nature to lust for sinful things and unholy things. It was natural. It was natural for us to follow the world and imitate the world just as a dog acts like a dog and like a cat would act like a cat. It's part of its nature. Unsaved people today would go, you know, I want to be free, man. I want to be different. Yet it's interesting. They all imitate one another. Why? Same nature. They're all pursuing the same unholy things. When we are born again, we have been given a new nature. We are saved from the old nature and the course that it was on. We're, we're a new creation, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, with a, with a divine nature, with partakers of divine nature now. Again, nature determines appetites and actions. But now as a Christian, we now possess a new nature with new appetites and with new desires and with new goals and with new behavior. As the old nature was marked by unholy living, the new nature now is marked by holy living, by holy behavior. Ephesians 1:4 says, "He has chosen us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him." What does it mean for a Christian to be holy? The word holy is the word hagios. It means to be pure. It means to be set apart, separated for a special, unique purpose. That's why we call marriage holy matrimony. It's two people who who were apart, (laughs) and they they were living their own lives, and they're now called into one unique life together separated from the old and brought into one new life as God has designed that union to be. Holy, separate, matrimony. That's why we call the scriptures. Holy scriptures. They've been set apart by God for a unique purpose, just like marriage. So you and I is the same. We've been set apart from the world by God with a very unique purpose. There are many scriptures that teach That having an eager expectation for the Lord's return ought to actually motivate us to have pure lives. Listen to these these scriptures. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously in godliness present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time, that, that now it is high time to awake out of your sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. man, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy, but putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Wow. As I see the day approaching, that? Ah, pursue that, yeah. First John, again, we'll be there next week. Chapter 2, though, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We're going to see him as he is. And listen, everyone who has this hope, hope of what? Seeing him in his return, being like him, purifies himself just as he is pure. I see some human responsibility tied to these verses. Conduct speaks a behavior. A big part of behavior involves thinking and acting on what we think. Holy conduct is the result of me choosing to set myself apart for that which God has chosen. to set my, myself apart from that which is unholy to that which is holy. Holiness is a direction. It's a direction I choose. It's a direction that I pursue. Each day we can choose to to set our our minds apart unto the Lord. We can choose to set our our eyes and our ears and our hands and our feet and our passions and and our, our motivations and our attitudes and our disciplines Godward. We can take all of that and line it up with his word, his will for our life. Holiness. Set apart for a unique purpose, God's purpose for our life. Godliness, that's sometimes translated piety. It it's means to worship well. It describes a person whose life is, is devoted to pleasing God. Holiness and godliness. So knowing that these end time events are going to happen, we should be, as we said, be hopeful, be watchful, be patient, be holy. And then in verse 12, we should be expectant. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. To look. To look here means to await eagerly, to be expectant. It describes the the, the kind of of excitement and, and expectation that we should have towards the Lord's return if we really believe he is going to return and can return any day. I have a dog. I've referenced him a few times. He's going to get, you know, taken over by Ezra pretty soon. But, you know, Koa is my dog. He's a three-year-old Labrador, and we have a special bond. There's a, there's a lot of routine, but he lives for his master. He's a people dog. He mopes he is completely mopey when we are not around. The second, the second I come home, and, he, and 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 he even hears my car entering the drive. He he is at the gate and he is feverishly shaking, feverishly shaking with the biggest eyes, like he's lost his mind because his master has finally come back home. And what does he get out of all of that? A pat on the head, a scratch on the belly, and a bowl of food. And a little of my time. That dog, feverishly shaking, awaiting his master's return. Think of what we've got when Jesus returns for us. Think of what he's bringing with him. Think of eternity. It's just an amazing consideration. Harry Einstein, uh, Ironside said, "No, no man can really put this world beneath his feet until he has seen a better world above his head. Paul said it this way. Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, you're born again? Yeah. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, currently is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your minds. Notice, set your minds on this. Set your minds on things above, not on on things of the earth and I'm just going to be honest with you I struggle with this I really do struggle with this every one of us I'm not speaking for you but I think I can on this point I think we all struggle with this because there's just there's parts of this earth that are just like I don't want it to end I love my marriage I love my family I love you guys I even love my dog there's, there's parts of this earth that I've experienced, vacations with my family, you know, all through Yosemite and the, the surfing around. You know, all of this world and what it has, I'm like, man, this is, it's hard to get my mind off of this sometimes. But the Lord knows that. And that's why in his word, he's like, hey, you need to be disciplined with this. Now, there are things that will happen in our life that will help us set our, our minds on things above. It's amazing what happens when when someone gets seriously ill around us or, God forbid, they were to pass away. It's amazing how we begin to think about eternity and our own mortality. Because we know he's coming and everything we see is going, we should fix our hope not on the things of this world but on the one who's coming to take us out of this world. Titus calls us, in Titus 2, the blessed hope. Blessed hope. Isaiah 65, 17, and 18. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And this is interesting, because everybody's like, hey, well, are we going to be in heaven? How much are we be thinking about the old and all that? Check out this verse. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Hmm. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Now, there's some things in life that we are like, Oh, I sure hope I don't remember that. But then the best of what life has to throw at us or grant us down here is going to be overshadowed by such a glory up there that this stuff won't even come to mind. You know, I can't remember. I played basketball 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, and 10th grade. I played sports. And I can't remember what I did with the first pair of gym socks that I bought in the seventh grade. I just can't remember. I remember going to the store with my mom and buying these cool socks. This is when we wore Socks actually pulled them all the way up to like your kneecap and whatnot and Laker colors and all that. I remember all of that. But I just, for the world, I just can't remember what I did with my seventh grade gym socks. You get the point. We're going to get there. And this space is going to be like an old beat-up, smelly pair of gym socks. Amen. The word for create there is bara. We talked about this, I think, last time. It's not a saw. A saw is like to redesign, to refurbish. Bara is to create something from nothing. So our eternity, this new heaven, new earth thing, it's going to be mind-boggling. And then verse 3, a a, a new heaven and new earth which righteousness dwells. We only know, listen, the dwelling place called earth that has been cursed, in which unrighteousness dwells. We we don't know what it's going to be like to be in a dwelling place where only righteousness dwells. So be hopeful, be watchful, be patient, be holy, be expectant. And now in verse 14, be diligent. Therefore, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. In the Greek, to be diligent, it it, it means to use speed or to make every effort, to be prompt, to be earnest. In light of all of these end times events that the Old Testament prophets talked about, the apostles talked about, Jesus talked about, events that will happen are slated to happen in light of the fact that Jesus could return any day and make all things new, (laughs) make every effort, Christian, to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Some Christians would hear this and they get all nervous and all anxious, kind of like that that, that teenage kid that had a party when the parents were gone. Dad's gone. I had the party. But then his friend reminded him, Dad's about to come home. And they get all nervous, like, oh, what am I going to do? I'll never get this mess cleaned up. Some Christians are like that when it comes to their life and when we talk about Jesus coming back. But if we diligently just are watching for his return, (laughs) and and we're living holy, godly lives, we're never going to be afraid or anxious as it relates to his return. We're going to be like my dog, feverishly shaking, going, yeah, come on back. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. This whole idea of peace, peace is so important. We're born into this world. We don't have peace. As it relates to God, we don't have the peace of God. You see, the peace of God is a spiritual, eternal commodity that he invests to people who have found peace with God. And we find peace with God the moment that we are born again, the moment that we are saved. That's when the enmity that we had towards God is removed, and it's replaced by adoption, by forgiveness. And now we're in a one atonement relationship with God. The the peace is now there. Now we have peace with God. And once we become the recipients of of that peace, now we can can enjoy that peace, the peace peace of God. We can enjoy that by running to him, by fully embracing him, by fully embracing his word. The Christian that will be found by him in peace, listen, is the Christian that is living in peace. The Christian that is living in peace is the Christian that has learned to rest in who Christ is. They have learned to rest in what Christ has done for him. They have learned to rest in what Christ alone can do in them and through them. And they're living in that. They've learned to rest in God's grace. They've learned to experience the peace that comes by living holy lives without spot and blameless. Paul hits it this way in 1 Corinthians 1:4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you, you, you come short in no gift. Then he says, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. What is he saying? He's like, hey, listen. I'm just going to talk you guys up a bit, you Corinthians. He doesn't have a lot of good to say about them, but this part he does. He's like, hey, as I, as I look at you, you know, I just thank God for the grace you've received, the grace of Christ that you have received. You've been enriched, you know, with, with, with utterance and all knowledge that the testimony of who Christ is is confirmed in and through your lives so that you guys, you're even using your gifts and you are eagerly waiting for the revelation, the return of Jesus Christ. And I like the way he says this. Who will confirm you? The one who began the work continues the work. Will continue to confirm you into the end. Do do, do you see that? Lest you miss that, listen. Who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, listen, God has his part, and we have our part. We can be holy. We can be godly. We can live in peace. And he can find us. Those that are experiencing, you that have walked with the Lord for any period of time now, long enough to know what it's like to live in obedience, Long enough to know what it's like to live at this, just you're in the will of God. Don't you find peace there? I, I'm going to say it again. Not, I seriously need better feedback than that. That was really scary. <laughs> Do you guys know when you're experiencing the peace of God that you're right with God? Okay. Okay. You know what it's like, and I know what it's like to be out of the will of God. And what, what marks that? An absence of peace. Okay? Absence of peace. When he comes, may he find us living in peace. Get the connection? Okay. 15. And consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all of his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which some of these things are even tough to understand, but the untaught and unstable people have been twisting to their own destruction as they've done with the rest of the Scriptures. So Peter makes the same point that he made in verse 9. We went over that, and the point is that it's not that the Lord is not keeping his word because he's not yet exercised judgment, the, the judgment that he's going to bring in the end. It's not that. He's had every reason to judge the world and burn it up, but his his mercy, his long-suffering has kept him from doing that because he's desiring more people to be saved. And what I believe, you know, if I can just go with the B thing here, he's saying be confident in that. Don't fall, don't be lulled asleep, thinking, oh, you know, they were talking about this in the 70s, he never came back, they're talking about... No, no, don't be lulled into that. Be confident that what the Bible says... God is going to do and live as if it can happen today. Be confident in this. And that means not just be ready, but make sure other people who aren't ready get ready. Amen? Amen. Be diligent to win the lost. And then he refers to Paul's writings because it's it's Paul, more than, than any other New Testament writer, who really explained God's plan for Mankind, his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption for mankind during this present age, especially Ephesians and and, and Romans. It's in Romans that Paul wrote of how both Jew and Gentile, the general makeup of the the whole known world, was was brought into the courtroom of God and found guilty as sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one gets a hall pass on that. We're born that way, sinners with sinful nature. Paul did a great job of describing that. Paul did uh, an amazing job of breaking down the gospel. In chapter one, he began with verse 16, where he says, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Romans, Paul explained how we are justified by faith. That's huge for the Jewish community because the Jewish community believed that salvation, right standing with God, justification, they believe that that, That was something we're born into. I'm I'm born into the the line of Abraham. I'm I'm justified. I'm saved. Oh, no, I got to keep the law now (laughs) because that's going to assure that I'm saved. No, it's Paul who came along and said, no, 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 no. Justification is not found by you being born in the line of Abraham. It's not the result of that, it's not the result of you keeping the law. (laughs) No. It's faith. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, here, all those hundreds of people that watch online, if, if, if right now you're driving or you're, you're in your house, or in this house, and you're not saved, you've never come to God on his terms, And recognize that you are a sinner. Like God, I am a sinner. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with God. The Bible says we're born sinners. And that sin needs to be dealt with. And God did not put that responsibility on you. He put it on his son. If God wanted us to save ourselves, he wouldn't have sent his son. But he sent his son because he didn't desire for us to save ourselves. So what do I do? Paul says, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes in the salvation. It's with the mouth one will confess those words. Don't leave here, don't leave your car, don't leave your house. Without having that heart to heart with God, give your life to Jesus Christ. It's worth it here and eternity is definitely worth it. Amen. Amen. I like how he says some of Paul's stuff is hard to understand here in verse 16. Possibly a little dig here, I'm not sure. Peter and Paul had an interesting relationship a fisherman and an intellect. Galatians chapter 2, you know, Paul said that James and Peter and John, they seem to be pillars, but he also said that when he, you know, when Peter came to Antioch, he's like, you know, I had to withstand him because he was to be blamed. It seems that when the The Gentiles, you know, Peter would eat with (laughs) eat with Gentiles. That he would only eat with Gentiles when Jews weren't around. Jews were were around. He's like, I ain't eating with them Gentiles. Paul's like, come on. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's like, you're so so caught up in the old thing, dude. You know, it's 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 not about that anymore. Gentiles can be saved. They're not unclean. You don't have to, you know, it's don't go there. They had their issues but they work through their issues. They're both great men of God that were inspired by God to pen down massive portions of Scripture. And and those Scriptures, Peter's saying, that Paul wrote, much like all of the Word of God, he goes, there's always going to be these people who are just, they're untaught and they're unstable and they're just going to twist the Scriptures. Peter talked about this In chapter two, we don't have time to get through it because you've got Super Bowl parties to go to. I've got guacamole just chilling right now. What's wrong? I got three more minutes and we're going to finish. If you feel called here to be part of this family, you weren't here through our second Peter chapter two studies, plural highly encourage you. I would even ask you. I really believe that 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 passage and those studies speak to our culture where we are at what we're dealing with right now, the danger of what is creeping into the church and leading people astray and I want to know that this church is informed about that so they can guard against it. Please. Please. 17 You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Now we come to the final words of aged Peter. Picture an older guy. That knock on the door could come any day from the Romans that will incarcerate him and eventually crucify him. He knows it. But his heart is burdened for the church because of the, the political opposition. Because of real opposition. And because some of that opposition is pressing and, and, and it's, it's having an effect on some Christian's faith. So he's like, he's like speaking from that, that, that just seasoned saint, broken Peter perspective. Beloved, in verses 1 and 2, be mindful. Beloved, in verse 8, don't be ignorant. Beloved, in verse 14, be diligent. Beloved, now, beware. Be Be on guard. You know these things. The truth that you know, he's like, be on guard. Just knowing the truth is not enough. It's not sufficient protection enough. You've got to guard yourself. You could, you, could, you could know a lot, but you've also got to guard yourself against the enemy who would like to pull you away. Getting it in your head is one thing. It's, it's got to get into your heart. You're living it out, and you're living it out with, with those that have been called out wholly separate from the world. No longer, you know... No longer, we're not to be unequally yoked. It's, it's, it's a firm warning. Beloved, since you know these, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Man. It's 1 Corinthians 10:12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. You want to know what Christians forget the warnings? Because this is a firm one. <laughs> The ones who don't fear the warnings. ah, that's sort of everybody else. I'm fine. Or the ones that don't heed the warnings. Yeah, I'm lining myself up with all of these warnings in God's scriptures. But this over here, I'm okay. I'm cool. I'm cool with this. And you'll know that they're not good with the warning that relates to that in God's word by you bringing it up. That's like you do is bring it up. And they won't want to hear it from you. They'll think you're judging them. They'll think you're against them all of a sudden. No, 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 that warning's for me too. I'm just heeding it you're not. I thought I'd give you the warning. I love you. If there was something that was going to destroy your life and I didn't warn you, what kind of love is that? It's not love. Don't forget the warnings, especially you that are newer to the faith. Heed the warnings. Lastly, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That's all, Stan. We just finished the book of Second Peter. Yes, we did. Yeah. 17 Bible studies out of three chapters, yeah. 1 John next week. Now, let me just close on this one thought. This is a closing thought. It's not a, I'm going to close and I don't close thought. It's, <laughs> you've been here before. <laughs> but, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, okay? He's not saying, hey, learn more about him. Grow in the grace. The grace is the, 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 just the abundant favor of God. Grow in that. The grace that saves you and sanctifies you and empower. Grow in that. Develop that. Develop that. But grow in the grace and the, and the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord. The word, the, the idea here, grow in the grace and knowledge. Knowledge in Greek is gnosis, So it would be like growing knowing more about him is different than growing know more about him in a personal relationship with him. It's epigenosis. Grow in your knowledge of him by experiencing more of him. Okay? Then, then and what, what a beautiful way to close off. And then in the Peter, listen, Peter, who who, before the resurrection, he 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 knew more than Jesus. Before the resurrection, opinion, God, the guy's, this guy's got opinion. I think Jesus sometimes just walked and went, man, Peter, you got such an opinion. <laughs> yeah. And even when you, you say, I'm going you're gonna deny me. No, I'm not. Everybody else in Calvary Chapel will fail. I will never fail. That's Peter. (laughs) Yeah, you will. Peter, who did deny him three times, gets to a place where he could say now (laughs) to him, be the glory both now in my life and forever. Amen and amen. Now, I'm going to leave you the question. I'm to leave you the question. And we're not even going to sing a parting song. you got to go. What today could you say that to about your life? To him, to Jesus, be the glory. Both now and forever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless you.